Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com wait and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle. Now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash wait today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash wait. GetRoman.com slash wait. the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. We got to put everything in, in hyper hyperdrive and do a better job this week and improve quickly and get ourselves ready for Indianapolis. Hyperdrive, enormous understatement from Adam Gase during his Monday conference call coming off a 31-16 loss to the Niners on Sunday. Welcome back to the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster, Connor Hughes, our producer Marissa Morris here. And Connor, I was trying to come up with a silver lining about the game on Sunday, right? There's got to be something here. Good for you. And I think I have it. There were no fans at MetLife Stadium, so there was no booing. What do you think? Uh, maybe, man. I don't know. It doesn't really do me any good because I've spent the last two weeks watching this goddamn dumpster fire. I mean, this has been just, woo, woo, man. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like actually that's that's, um, that's an old Brandon Marshall quote right there. I mean, I remember back in uh, 2016 when the Jets were also a uh, quite quite a bit of a disaster. Uh, I remember Brandon Marshall sitting in the locker room after they had gotten beat up by the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was the time when. Uh, it actually kind of follows in line a little bit with uh, what Adam Gase has done with some questionable play calling. But there was like a, a fourth and eight at mid fourth and eight at midfield with the Jets down like two possessions or maybe like nine points or something like that. And uh, and and Todd Bowles elected to punt on like a fourth and eight, fourth and nine at midfield. Steelers, of course, take the ensuing possession, go right down the field in 2016 that they score a touchdown. They're up three possessions. Game's totally over now. And and. Afterwards, we're talking to Brandon Marshall in the locker room, and and we're like, Brandon, you guys are like, I don't know what they were at this point, two and six, whatever. We're like Brandon, like you guys are basically now eliminated from the playoffs. What's going on here? And Brandon goes, uh, Nah, we're right where we want to be. We're right where we want to be. Woo! And like <laughs> everyone in the locker room turned around. They were like, What? <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing in the world. But man, I'll tell you what, dude. This uh, this team. This team, uh, you, I, you made reference to, to the fans in the stands real quick. I think the the one like we haven't talked too much about like the atmosphere and how it's been weird and how it's been different and how it's been funky and all that stuff. Um, and and I think the the one spot where I really did notice it was when the Jets let up a eighty uh, yard touchdown on the first play of the game, which was uh, wildly entertaining to watch. Is that as the play was happening, like as Mostert was was running down the right sideline and breaking free, and you're like, is he going to score? Not hearing anything. That right. was like kind of weird because like normally you'll hear the boos, you'll hear the gasps, you'll hear something 
to almost let you know what is currently transpiring. But to just see him running down the field and nothing, it's almost like, oh, is there a flag? Like, why is no one reacting? What's what's going on? They're like, oh, there's no one here to react. That was that was kind of a little funky. And the guy on the microphone not doing a good job with the speakers, I guess. Um, if you're listening to us, wherever you are, Apple, uh, Spotify, give us a rating. Really helps us out. It only takes a few seconds to do that. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Only if it's good, though. What's I'm that? I'm allowed to say that. Only if it's a good rating. <laughs> yes, five <laughs> stars. Please. Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> if you think it should be less than that, just give us five and then say something. Send me an email instead. Yeah, that's fine. Send me an email. Yeah, don't don't into, put that out for the public. Like, if you think DMs. we suck, yeah, if you think we suck, <laughs> just send me a DM. Put it in the email. Don't let anyone else know you think we suck. Just send, just send it to me privately. I'm, I, I can take it. Yeah, I, I got thick skin it. here. Uh, I mean, we watch the Jets every week. The offense, <laughs> the defense, we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence. Hey, why not? Is it is it too soon? Probably not. And of course, we're going to talk about Adam Gase. Let's start there. Is it time, Con? I mean, I think I brought this up last week, but it was it was too early to think about Adam Gase being fired because it was one game. It was against a good team. It was on the road. There was no preseason. Now they played two games, one of them at home against two good teams, although the team they lost to on Sunday was missing half its team by the end because of yeah, injuries. Yeah, that wasn't the 49ers. But they looked they was like, yeah, the, like the 39ers. They looked really <laughs> worse. I think that I think it's safe to say the Jets look worse in week 2 than week 1. Maybe it's tough to tell. But anyway, can we talk about Adam Gase needing to go at this point? Uh, we can start talking start the about conversation. it. Yes, we. I, I think we we can start the conversation of when to have the conversation. I, okay. I think that's it because a- after they lost the opener, the Bills, it's like, dude, stop! You're n- you're not talking about the coach getting firing because they lost the opener. Like, how many teams have lost their opener and gone into gone into make the playoffs, or lost the opener and gone into win a Super Bowl? Like, it's it was one game. They looked funky. It was one game off of no preseason, no mini camp, no OTAs, condensed training camp, all the injuries, new pieces, blah blah blah. It was not time to talk about that. Where it's at right now is is it is time, like I said, to start talking about when it's time to start talking about it. Because, look, I, I've given Adam Gase a lot of leniency. I, I've given Adam Gase a lot of slack. I, I've I've been one of the people that have, have kind of beat the drum of give it time. You know, you look at what was going on for the Jets in 2019 – Sam Darnold's mono, Trevor Simeon's ankle explodes on national television, Luke Falk is your quarterback, then David Fales takes over, the offensive line's abysmal, the defense really isn't all that good, there's no real weapons, tight end Chris Herndon's gone, then he's back, then he's gone again. I mean, there there was so much trouble with the Jets last year. They start 1-7, and seven, but then they rally, right? Like, then they rally, they win 6 of final 8, they finish 7-9, and nine. it's like, you know what? Give this guy another year to implement his scheme. Give Sam Darnold another year within this offense. Let this all go one more year and then see the progress that they make. You don't give a coach a pink slip after one year. You especially don't give a coach a pink slip after he, again, finishes the season six and eight. The way that the Jets have started this season, though, both in that game against the Bills and now here against the 49ers, is absolutely abysmal. They're not competitive. They're not exciting. There's nothing to to hang your hat on to say this team does anything well. They have no identity. Honestly, they're pathetic. Like this offense, this team, this defense, like like Greg Williams' defense is pathetic. Adam Gase's offense is pathetic. And I think like, look, I I, I wrote this in the postgame column and I'll say it again, like, the, there is a talent issue on this roster. I mean, Mike McCagnan was abysmal at his job and, and his 
issues at evaluating college talent and picking the right players in the NFL draft are is is a problem that is not going to get rectified in one year. It's going to take Joe Douglas several years to get this ship truly right back on track. It's not going to happen in one off season. So there is a legitimate talent problem on this roster. If players were getting open and dropping passes and and guys were creating separation and and the ball and just not getting that extra inch and, and the ball was being broken up that's that's a talent problem right if sam darnold has guys open and he's throwing them left right sideways short left kind of like he did in the first half against the the bills that's not a coaching problem that's a quarterback problem if the jets offense is scoring 30 points a game and the defense is letting up 32 that's a defense problem. If they're losing games because the referee throws a couple flags that just you know are, are thrown with with anything but green and white glasses on, there that's a referee problem. Like you get some bad breaks in the NFL. That's not what's happening with the Jets right now. The Jets are not losing games because they have no talent. They're not losing or they're not losing games just because they have no talent. They're not losing games just because of their defense. They're not losing games because of 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 you know, the, the defense letting up points. They're losing games right now because they are a discombobulated disaster. They are losing games because they are going into games completely unprepared for their opponent. They're doing things that I've never seen before. They let a a a fifth they let up a fifty five yard run on third and thirty one, Tim. Fifty five on a draw play on third and thirty one. That is just an atrocity. I mean, to be honest, team. that play, that single play probably got more headlines across the NFL, right, than like any of the good things that happened because that just doesn't happen. Seriously. No, it's serious. And and, and that's, the, that's the problem with this team. And when you're talking about a team that is doing things like that, a 55-yard run in third and on, on, uh, on third and 31, uh, an 80-yard touchdown run on the first play of the game, throwing how many passes short of the sticks on third and nine and 34, Sam Darnold looking like he's still regressing with his footwork and his mechanics. That's coaching, man. That is coaching. And it is absolutely right to turn the, the, the temperature up to, to, to as high of a Fahrenheit degree as you can reach for, for Adam Gase's seat. Because right now, I just don't know how you look at this roster and feel like at this point, you got the right guy leading the charge because there are legitimate issues with this team and there are legitimate problems with this team. And and there, there are things that supersede the head coach that are going wrong with this team right now. But Adam Gase is one of them. And, and you look at this roster moving forward. I have no idea how they beat the Colts th- th- this coming Sunday. I think that's a loss. That's going to drop this team to 0-3. They've got the Broncos. They should be able to win that game. I mean, especially because Drew Locke's going to be out. I mean, if they lose to Driscoll, holy cow. But but I think they should be able to win that game. That puts them at one and three. But after that, you got the Cardinals, who look red hot. You got the Chargers, who suddenly with Herbert might be a legitimate contender. And, and even if not, they've got a better roster than the Jets do. Then it's the Bills, who look awful good. Then it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Then it's the New England Patriots in week nine. You're looking at a chance that this team, even if they beat the Broncos to go one and three, go one and four with a loss to the Cardinals, one and five with a loss to the Chargers, one and six with a loss to the Bills, one and seven with a loss to the Chiefs, and then one and eight with a loss to the Patriots. If this team gets to a point where they are not these next two games, he's not going to get fired if they lose to the Colts. He's not going to get fired if they lo- if they lose to the Denver Broncos. But if they start this season one and seven, one and eight, even one and six, 
and Sam Darnold continues to regress, and this team continues to show absolutely no progression, that is when we start having a legitimate discussion that this is not going in the right direction. They need to make a change. And and Christopher Johnson said it. Christopher Johnson was the one who came out here and said, he's going to judge Adam Gates not on a playoff mandate, but on progression. If you start one and seven again with a conceivably better offensive line, Sam Darnold in year two, and Sam Darnold starting every single game of those first seven or eight games, I don't know where you see any progress. And at that point, if players start bickering and this thing starts to turn toxic, I think that's when you got to pull the plug. Because that is the key thing, Tim, is that in-season coaching changes, it's not like baseball, where where there are times in baseball where you can make a managerial change and it has a legitimate boost where suddenly you make a run to the playoffs. Usually when you fire a head coach in-season, it's because you're saying, this is a toxic workplace. This is a toxic environment. Guys are turning on each other. They're turning on the coaching staff. We got to make a change. We got to get them out. And then after the season, you clean house and you fire everyone Everyone at that point in time. It hasn't gotten to that point yet with the Jets. They're a disaster, but they at least are a disaster together. You know, when these guys start turning on each other and and the Jets continue to lose games and they're 1-6, 1-7, 1-8, and guys are bickering and Sam Darnold continues to regress, I think that's when Christopher Johnson's going to make the call to Adam Gase and say like, we got to go in a different direction because right now that 49er game, the jets shouldn't have won that game, but they should have competed, man. That was a 49er team that didn't have their starting quarterback, running back center, top three defensive lineman, a secondary that was basically a JV team. And the jets didn't score until the game was decided. They didn't score touchdowns. The game was decided. I mean, it's, it's pathetic, man. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. It's disappointing. I don't know how any Jet fan goes to work or even wears green. I mean, I would just burn everything that's green and go to go to like work in orange. Like just just don't even affiliate with this team right now because that's that's how ugly this is getting. Yeah, it's they pretty much summed it up there. The one thing I was going to get to as far as continuing with the offense um, and Darnold is the fact that in the first half, just watching him play, right, compared to week one watching him play, and you look at the numbers, nine for 11. And that kind of played out when I'm watching. I'm like, okay, he's hitting guys. He's he's throwing at a high percentage, but then it's 65 yards, nine for 11, 65 yards in the first half. Um, he ends up throwing for 179, 76 of those on, the last, on that last drive. That's but it just screams playbook to me, and you're watching these plays, and it's five yards out to the right, and wide receiver screen for the one millionth time, and and this and that. And early on, I was like, okay, I kind of get this because the Niners, you know, Nick Bosa, they're going to get the pass rush. They're just trying to get rid of the ball early before the pass rush can get to Darnold. But then the injuries start mounting up for the 49ers, and you realize you're looking at the field. This isn't that same 49ers defense. This isn't the defense that's going to get after it and get to Darnold. So change up the game plan a little and start throwing the damn ball down the field. Things can happen. I mean, we all know, right, in the NFL right now, pass interference, anything can be pass interference. Mm -hmm. Throw the ball up. You can't get pass interference on a two-yard out on, what was it, third and three? The two-yard out. They got two yards on a third and three on the the quick out where they were trying to get a rub play and it, it didn't work, but... I mean, it's just the playbook to me. I mean, Darnold looked better in my mind in that first half. He looked more confident. He ran for a first down. He was completing passes to bad receivers. But none of it was going to get them anywhere with those plays. No, exactly. And I think that's where, like, that's where it comes. Like, that's where the, the, the coaching issue comes into me. Because, like I said, man, if guys are open and they're dropping passes, it's talent. If Sam Darnold's 
throwing him at his feet or overshooting guys, that's the quarterback. But the Jets had so many opportunities. And, and like, I'm looking at the call and I'm like, that's what you got? Like, that's what you're, that's what like the brilliance dug up. I mean, the, the fourth and one, like that the Jets didn't convert where they ran Josh Adams into a wall. They ran the ball four straight times. Like, why not on, on, on third and one, why not? If you know you're, you're willing to go for it on fourth, right? So like, this is like the coaching, in my opinion, what it should be. If you know you are going to go for it on fourth down, which you should know if you're on the sideline, you're looking at a third round, like, all right, if we don't get it, we're going to go for it. You can be more aggressive on third and one. You can do the play action boot with Darnold where you get him out moving and then you give him a run pass option where there's Chris Herndon coming across the formation with him. You got a guy running a comeback on the on the second level. You can even have on the backside of the formation someone coming across on a post, which could be your deep shot. Holy cow, there's a touchdown. You fake it to the back. You roll out. Suddenly, Darnold can either run it himself. He can hit the tight end for the first down. He's got the second level with the comeback on the outside receiver on, on the right side. And then he's got the deep target running with him on the second level of defense from the receiver all the way to the left. If all of that's wrong and all of that's gone, because the tight end's right in front of him, he can dirt the ball at his feet. Then you bring up fourth and one, and then you can run Frank Gore into the line if that's what you choose, or go ahead and run it. But like, halfback dive for nothing. Halfback dive with Josh Adams for nothing. The 49ers knew it was coming. It's it's why it's why Warner came unblocked and had his missed the play, but but it's why Warner's in the backfield for the tackle for a loss. Right. The third and 18 for the field goal. Like now I I get I get what Gase is thinking on that one. I get the third and 18 where where he chose to run it with Gore because he's saying, we just took a sack. I don't want Sam Darnold to take another sack. But at the same time, like like you said, Tim, it's 2020 in the NFL. Like how many times is the illegal contact? You saw it happen last night in the Seahawks, the Seahawks Patriots game. There was the same exact thing, third and eighteen, or I think it might have been third and nineteen. They throw the ball because they throw the ball. They are allowed to get the they get the illegal contact from the defender, and that gives them an automatic first down. You can take your chances, and again, what you can do with that if you're so worried about Sam Darnold taking a sack. Have the running back, your veteran Frank Gore, who knows who has seen everything in the NFL, have him sneak out of the backfield, have like the him right there. So again, if the pressure comes in and Sam Darnold, he can dirt it at Frank Gore's feet and you're in the same situation that you were before. Like, I just, I don't understand. And then that's before we even get into the fact that they have a third and four and they're throwing a two yard out. Like the, it happened twice. They had a third and four twice and they, they throw the ball short of the markers. Like it's just that the third and nine wide receiver screen. It's like, dude, I, I don't I understand the Jets have a receiver problem. I get it. I, I get that they're they're down to Malone, Hogan, Barrios. I get all that. But still, if you are this brilliant of an offensive mind, if you are this genius, if your scheme is that effective, you should be able to scheme guys open. Because the defense isn't keying in on any one player. This isn't like they're saying we're gonna we're gonna bracket this person and now we're like you have basically four guys on the field when you trot all these players out. The defense isn't keying on any of them because they have no idea who's gonna get the ball because they're all nobodies. That should allow you to design some plays that free one person up, that get one person down the field. The fact they're not taking the sh- it's just it's I'm what again. I, I made this comment two weeks ago. Uh, it might have been after the Bills game. You watch these other football games. You watch these other teams play. You watch the Buccaneers. You watch the Seahawks. You watch Cam Newton now in the Patriots. You watch the Dolphins. You watch the Bills. And then you watch the Jets. And it's like they are playing a different sport. It's just, it's the offense. It's so, the offense is so uncreative. It's so unimaginative. There's no coaching football where it's going. It's just, 
it's just boring. And and I, I, I don't know about like the excuses that you want to make. And I understand there's problems here, but like eventually enough with the excuses. Like you're a coach for a reason. Coach your team to success. Coach your team to success. Do something that helps your team mask these issues. That's why you're a coach. You're supposed to be the you're supposed to be able to do that. Like that's why you're a coach. That's why I'm not doing this. That's why I'm not on the sideline with a headset on, like and and staring at play sheets because I don't know how to fix this. But you're a coach. You're supposed to know, and it's not working. And it didn't work last year. It didn't work against the Bills. It sure as hell didn't work against the 49ers. And why out of all of this should you believe that it that anything is going to change? And and that's the problem. And and again, like I said, you don't fire Gase after two weeks. You're not going to fire me to lose to the Colts. If you lose to the Broncos, I mean that that's that's a we'll cross that bridge when you get to it. But after that, if this team ends up getting to one and six, one and seven, I don't know. I, I forget when their bye week is, and I closed out their schedule already. It's week ten 11. So or eleven, yeah. Well, so that's going to save him, probably. Yeah, so that that'll be irrelevant. But like you have Greg Williams, who has coaching experience, who would probably get the job, and then Dowell can be the the offensive coordinator. He has experience doing that as well. But it, it's just. Again, like I said, I, I, I feel for Jeff fan. I'm not a Jets fan. I don't root for this team. I, I just I would like to cover a playoff run. I think that would be kind of cool. I'd love to cover a Super Bowl. That's like a bucket list thing. Don't know if that's ever gonna happen. Might die before that happens. I'm about to buy a ticket to get to a Super Bowl. But um I, I, I don't I, I just I feel for Jet fans. Like one one of my best friends, two of my best friends are are Jet fans. Two two guys I went to college with, Joe Joe Lacalandre, Andrew Galecki, two guys I'm super tight with. I feel for them, man. I, like I feel, I look at these guys. Like Anthony Capella, another friend of mine is a Jets fan. Met him, met him uh, through through mutual friends a few years ago. Like these guys ask me Jets questions. Sometimes I'm like, man, I, I wish I could tell you something positive, but like, damn, like I feel for him because like you watch this slop on on the field, this slop fest, and you're like, damn, like I just I don't I don't know where they go. I don't know where they go. And I gave Gase the benefit of the doubt, but it, it's getting it's getting to be reckoning. It's reckoning time, man. And it's like I I don't. Sunday was unacceptable. Sunday was absolutely unacceptable. I think that's probably the best way to put it. So I watched the Jets game on Sunday, but then I didn't watch any of the the yeah. Well, we, mm-hmm. we all hopefully everybody listening or watching watched the game, but uh, I didn't watch any of the four o'clock games. Um, but then I watched the Patriots Seahawks game at night, and it was it was just kind of refreshing watching that game yes! last night. It was yes! so good, and the yes! offenses were so good, and Russell Wilson just like knowing exactly what to do on every play. But then the play designs were so good for both teams and using the tools they have. Let's face it, the Patriots, I mean, Edelman's great, but he's getting old. They have no receivers either. I mean, Nikhil Harry or something like that. But the designs done by that offense were just, it was just good. It was enjoyable to watch and up and down the field. That's it. It allowed me, it was kind of like, you know what it was? It it was a palate cleanser. Yes. Patriots Seahawks last night was a palate cleanser. For the NFL. That's so true because like um, I watch the Jets. No, no, no joke. Like I cover the Jets. Like I, I watch every. I've watched every one of their games since 2014, and I couldn't say that before I started covering this team. And I'll be honest with you, man. Like sometimes, like Sunday ends, and I get home and I see Bree and like the Sunday night games on, and a part of me is like, I've had enough football for today. Like football is this is not this is not a fun sport. This game's going downhill. Like I, I'm done. I'm done watching football, and it's because I've covered endless bad football absent that one sort of good 2015 season with Fitz. Like I've, I've watched so much bad football that I come home and I'm like, I don't want any more bad football. Like this isn't fun. It's not fun watching a shitty team play shitty football. Like there's nothing enjoyable about that. But then, like you said, you flip on a game like that Seahawks Patriots game. And you're like, 
Football's awesome. Like, this is great. Like, I'm ready to, like, start hooting, hollering. Bree made buffalo chicken dip last night. I'm scarfing that all up. I'm like, football. Like, yeah, football. I remember being the kid that would get up and watch ESPN Sunday, ESPN's kickoff show from 11 to 12. Then it was Fox 12 to 1. Then I'd watch the 1 o'clock game, the 4 o'clock game. It was prime time till Sunday night football. Then begging my mom and dad to be able to stay up just enough to watch, like, the first half. And then if I knew if I got through the first half, I could probably, like, like sugar up and, and get a third quarter, maybe a little bit of the fourth, unless the game was decided, then I go to bed. And like, that's what like made me fall in love with this game. And then you watch this Jets football and you're like, man, football sucks. But then you watch real football and you're right, man, it's a palate cleanser. You're like, oh, this is what it's like. It's like drinking Coors Light and then go have a nice craft brew or Keystone. Not even, I don't even want to, I don't even want to do discredit to Coors, Coors Light with that. It's like drinking Keystone Light out of like a keg and then going and having like a nice brew, like a really nice brew and being like, wow. This like this elephant pee is the same as as this like wow that's that's new like seriously man it's wild the New York Jets the Keystone Light of the NFL there, there, you, there go. you go maybe we'll Keystone Light to be a sponsor of sign podcast. yeah sign them up but uh, one company that that has signed up let's move on to that get in the comment section by the way Connor it's blowing up tonight uh, while I read this How ad many Michael for Duns are we up to uh, there's there's a few. Uh, Fubo TV, wherever you're watching the NFL this year, it will be better if you were watching it on Fubo TV. What a great time to get involved and to cut the cord and to stream Fubo TV. You can get three screens, three different people. That means you're watching three NFL games at the same time on any Sunday. And just for the standard base plan, that's two screens at once. So all you need for a great football season, 15% off right now on your first month, thanks to The Athletic. That also comes with a 30-hour cloud DVR, so saving all the stuff you need into the cloud to watch later. You get your local broadcast as well, and that's all for $50 a month right now. What a time to cut the cord. NBC Sports also included. NFL football in full swing right now, and Fubo.tv will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams, as well as local broadcast news, go to fubotv.com slash athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's fubotv.com slash athletic. Start your first month today. All right, so we bashed the offense enough, I think. Um, we got to talk about the defense, too. You brought up the – we talked about the two big plays, right? The 80-yard first play of the game where it was just kind of a shrug at that point, and then the third and 31 where they give up the 55 um, all of that, by the way, or not all of that, but second half, by the way, Jimmy G not in the game, Raheem Mostert not in the game after their injuries, and the Giants turn to their backup who manages the game enough in the second half. Um, I thought this season the offense would probably struggle at times and we'd try to see some improvement, but I did have faith in Greg Williams, even without Mosley and without Jamal Adams, that he would be able to make this defense you know, formidable. Mm-hmm. They'd be able to get by. So what is, besides those two players who were a big deal, obviously, but they didn't have Mosley all last year, what are you seeing as the biggest issue with this defense right now? Because it's a defensive unit that a year ago was pretty good with Greg Williams. And Jamal Adams, while he's really good, is still a safety, and he shouldn't be this big of a difference. See, here's the thing about... Greg William, you're actually this is one of the nuggets on on the uh the the additional thoughts from the Jets Law story that's running uh that's that's running tomorrow morning on the athletic. Um the the thing about Greg Williams is that he has this hell of a reputation as a defensive coordinator and he's been coaching forever. I mean, I think he'll he'll tell you like it's on like 40 years in the NFL or something like that. I got to bring up this story so I can I can reference the uh let me see if I can scroll down here. Here we go. Got it. So the thing about like Greg Williams is that he's 
he's always he's he has this reputation right as as this crazy offense crazy defensive mind all this stuff right but the thing is is that he's coached for all of these teams without ever like spending so much time with one team right like you think about um um the old eagles defensive coordinator that was so so good um god he passed away uh mid-season and they ended up replacing with sean mcdermott i forget i forget his name off the top of my head but like he was yeah i know you mean that's when i was covering yeah and and this was like he was an jim johnson yes yes jim johnson thank you and he was like this this known as a defensive coordinator a dominant defensive coordinator and the team that got him kept him like they did not get rid of him he was their defensive coordinator monty kiffin with the bucks dominant defensive coordinator you keep him with you you look at like greg williams career and he's been a defensive coordinator for washington Jacksonville, New Orleans, uh, St. Louis, then now LA, obviously, Cleveland, and now the Jets. But with those teams, the amount of years that he spent with them, it's been 4-1-3-3-2 and now two. So like when you have a defensive coordinator like Greg, who is so in your face and so intense and so fiery and so passionate and so screaming and yelling and and kind of derogatory at times too, like and, and mean, like honestly, I think he's kind of, some players love it. That's why he's for some people, not for others. I am like I'm it's for some people, not for others. Like you can kind of be mean. Um, when you get screamed at, screamed at, screamed at, eventually, like you tune that screaming out. And it and and when you get screamed at for the first time, like if you get scolded for the first time and yelled at for the first time, you're kind of like taking it back. You know, like when, when Marissa gets really angry at us, like the first time she did that, and she the first time Marissa like screamed at us and yelled at us because we weren't on time for a podcast. Tim, you and I looked at each other. We're like, whoa. whoa. Yeah. Wait, whoa. Wait. I never yelled at Tim. When when Marissa yelled at me, the first time that. Marissa yelled at me, yeah. I was like, whoa, holy shit. But now Marissa yells at me all the time. So I've kind of put up like a Marissa shield and, and I don't always hear her when she yells. It's very similar with Greg Williams throughout like the majority of his career is that like the more he yells at these players and the more he screams, like yell, eventually like. You're kind of like, oh, that's just Greg yelling again. Oh, Greg's just Greg's just being Greg. And like it doesn't have the same impact. And I think that might be a little bit why you see these like this like roller coaster Greg Williams like defense where there's usually a big, big boom when he first gets there. Then it comes back down and then it'll come back up again. But then it sort of comes back down. And I think it's that players might like tune it out for a little bit before they're like, all right, no, let's yeah. get going again. And, and and it's it's it happened a little bit with Tom Coughlin in, in Jacksonville where like you get the boom, but but then you're you're tired of like the general mentality, and I think that's why he bounces around. So, th- this Jets defense, I mean, they're no worse talented than they were last year. Like, I mean, their defensive lines probably their defensive lines basically exactly the same. Quinn Williams has stepped up and, and had a really good game, but stepped up kind of filled that that like Leonard Williams role. The the inside linebackers are no better or worse than they were last year. The outside linebackers are exactly the same. The secondary is actually better. The P- Pierre Desir, Quincy Wilson. And bless Austin and Brian Poole are better than Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts. They are. They're they're a better combination than those two guys. And then it's safety. Obviously, there's no Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is a freak, but the Jets have serviceable safeties back there deep, just not like that game changing player. Similar to the offense, where we talk about like, man, they're they're just an abysmal disaster right now. Like, what what are you doing? Letting up an 80 yard touchdown on the first play of the game, which is just a toss. Mind you. That on the exact same play, they let up a 67-yard touchdown, which happened to be called back because of a ticky-tack holding call. So they let up an 80-yard touchdown and a 67-yard touchdown on the exact same play, and then you let up the 55-yard run in third and 31. I mean, it's just, it's 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 very sloppy. 
it's very disorganized. It, it, it's it's like guys are just kind of out there playing individually. There's no team football. And, and I don't know, because you would think that after that game against the Bills, that that film session where Greg Williams has certainly lightened these guys up, that they would be like, all right, let's put this back together. Let's get going. Let's rock and roll. But no, like it, it's it's an even worse effort next. So it's 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 concerning, man. It's it's absolutely concerning. We should talk about Quinn and Williams though, because I, I mean, I'm getting depressed talking about the other parts of this game. But Quinn and Williams was one of kind of the the highlights of this game. Gets to the quarterback twice for a couple of sacks. One was a bull rush, and that's looking like his kind of move of choice here early in his career is just to push his way to the quarterback. But other than the two sacks, those two flash plays. Did you feel like overall throughout the game he was a factor? Yeah, I did. I thought I thought Quinnen had a hell of a game. I really did. I th- I thought yeah. that 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 Quinnen game was about as good of a game as as I think Quinnen Williams can have. I I think that he was dominant. I think he was forceful. I think he was impactful. I think he made plays in the run. I think he he impacted the pass game. Obviously, getting to the quarterback. I mean, that's what you want when when you have a guy. At, at on the defensive line that can do the things that Quinn and Williams did, I think you're gonna you're, you're you're gonna have a good day, and that's what I said. Like that's what the Jets have been looking for in defense is a difference maker, and and I think that Quinnen showed quite a bit there. I think it's seven tackles, right? Two tackles for a loss, the two sacks, a, a forced fumble. I mean, that's what you want to see. Now, obviously, he's not going to do that every single week, but you want to see that kind of an impact. Maybe he doesn't get home, but at least he's disrupting plays. He's making plays. He's making his presence felt. I can guarantee you that everyone on that 49er offensive line was aware where 95 was at some point or another. And that's why you started seeing some of their bigger runs is when they were running away from them. You want to get to some of these questions in here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, do you have a, a defensive question to, uh, to bail me out here? Um, I got a lot of questions, a lot about Gase, a lot about Darnold, a lot about Joe Douglas. Um, this one from Will, does Joe Douglas actually want Sam Darnold to be the quarterback of this team? Yeah, I'd With not bringing back our best players, Anderson trading Jamal, and having $30 million in cap space, is it tank Is tank for Lawrence? Here's Allen? here's the thing. And like, people keep talking about like the money, the money, the money, right? Like where, where were you going to put the money for the receiver, right? Like you want to make the argument about signing Robbie Anderson and it being a mistake and then turning to Brashad Perryman. You're right, it was a mistake. But in the Jets' mindset, the reason why they did not pay Robbie Anderson is that they did not believe he was worth $20 million. They did not believe that. They did not believe he was worth more than $10 million a year. They didn't believe that because they viewed him as very much a one-dimensional receiver that can largely just go deep. Uh, they saw him as a receiver where if he is not, and this is also in this in the story tomorrow, so make sure you still read this and, and get me my, my subscriber views and engagement percentage and all this stuff. Um, Please. Yeah, but they saw him as a player that could only really go deep. They saw him as a player that could um, not, if he was not the offense's number one option on a play, if he was not their primary read, his effort dropped. Um, they saw him as a player that they there were some concerns that if he got his big money contract, he could get in trouble with some of the, the people that he sometimes surrounds himself with back in Florida because of all these reasons, they were not willing to pay Robbie Anderson. Was it a mistake? Would the guy go one fifteen, one Oh nine, his first two games with a touchdown and all these catches and looks like a, a legitimate weapon there in Carolina playing for playing with a quarterback who has a noodle arm. Well, like Teddy Bridgewater can't throw more than 20 yards down the field. And Robbie Anderson was only a deep threat. How is he able to put up this production? I mean, it looks like the jets made an, an evaluation mistake there. 
but they still had a justified reason why they let him go. It wasn't because he didn't have the money. It wasn't because they didn't believe Robbie Anderson was worth the money. Clearly, it looks like he was, but that was their evaluation at the time. My thing is like, you, the one I give them the slack on is that I don't know where else they could have gone with receiver. If they wanted to sign Amari Cooper, they would have had to give him like $40 million a year because he was never going to leave the Cowboys. He wanted to play for Dallas. He wanted to play with Dak. He was a free agent without being a free agent. You know, he was basically the only team he was negotiating with was the Cowboys. He wasn't really an option. You couldn't trade for Stephon Diggs because you don't have the draft capital to trade for Stephon Diggs. You could not really sign Emmanuel Sanders because Emmanuel Sanders wanted to go play for a contender and a chance for him to go get a ring. Like, that's why Emmanuel Sanders went to New Orleans is because he's ring chasing at this point in his career. I get, he couldn't draft, obviously, C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy at 11 because, I mean, you need an offensive line. Like, the, you saw what the Jets' problems were at offensive line last year. They couldn't forego the offensive lineman to draft a receiver. It wouldn't matter who was out wide because they wouldn't. Sam Darn wouldn't have time to get there. Plus, Becton looks like an absolute beast. So... There really weren't any options. I guess the one thing you could say is that they should have re-signed Robbie, but again, that was a, an organizational evaluation where they didn't believe he was worth the money. And the one other move that I think that I probably give Douglas criticism for, and and the one other move that I would say is on Douglas and he made a mistake, is that he should have had better foresight with what happened with Jamal Adams. And, and he should have realized that if he wasn't willing to pay Jamal Adams right away, this was going to get ugly. Jamal, uh, Joe Douglas's evaluation of Jamal Adams and how much, how the extent that he was willing to go to to get paid was he grossly underestimated it. And he grossly failed in that foresight for to, to figure that out. Because if he knew it was going to get this ugly, he would have traded Jamal Adams before the draft. And then the Jets could have had the Cowboys pick. They could have had the Seahawks pick. And they could have used that pick to take Judy, to take Lamb. And suddenly you'd have Becton, you'd have Lamb or Judy, and then you would have that other weapon in there. You still could have drafted Mims in the second round, and your receivers could have been Perryman, Berrios, Mims, Judy, Lamb, something like that, some combination of, of those guys. So I think that's where Douglas messed up, but that was just, again, like it's, it, 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 is, it is what it is. I, I don't think Douglas hates Darnold. I don't think Darnold, I don't think Douglas wants Darnold to fail. I don't think that's what he's trying to do, but... At the same time, it's just you can say that he helped the offensive line. He made the offensive line better. The offensive line has absolutely improved. But this offense is also failing, and it's failing because of somewhat the coaching, somewhat the quarterback play, and you can say the quarterback play is failing because of the coaching and, and the receivers at his disposal. Nice question from Will. Um, we're going to get to Trevor Lawrence, and that was mentioned in that question and, and what people can start thinking about that. And really, where does this team go from here? That's coming up after another quick break. Well, Connor, DraftKings is back, and week two of football is in the books, so now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week three, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head over to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right, you place a $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass on that? And don't worry, if football isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all MMA fans the same great offer to use this weekend for UFC's 253. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week three, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use the promo code QUICK during sign-up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Eligibility and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And we'll let Connor uh, brag about his picks in a second. But first, now more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community, even if you're a Jets fan. Visa and the National Football League know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field. Small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times, thanks to teammates like you and Visa, because when everyone pitches in, everyone benefits. Being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us in our communities because they know that where you shop matters. Visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable. And remember, tap to pay with a contactless Visa wherever you see the contactless symbol to help support your community. Visa, the official partner of the NFL. I was 3-0 and in week one. We'll do this before we get to the what's next here, but I, I wanted to give Connor a chance to smile. And and I was <laughs> I was 3-0 and week one, 0-3 week two. So Connor takes the lead in the picks. Yeah, I did. You know, the Go one ahead. the one that I was a little upset over though was the uh um the Bills pick. Was that that was the one that I was like flirting yeah, with. Yeah, cuz I actually picked that. Yeah, one. and and that was one that I had like <laughs> as a bonus selection and and I took and and that was almost like the clean sweep. I almost had 4-0. And they had that like 10-point lead with 2 minutes left. I was so confident. I was like we are good. And then Fitz magic made me Fitz tragic. But no, man, I I liked it. I liked it. It's a good sweep to get it going. We're we're on the official picks. We're now five and one. We're we're profiting. We're rolling. We're gonna look here at, at some of this rest of weeks. We're we're gonna be we're gonna be excited. Obviously, it's very easy to come back down to earth. So I want to inflate this lead a little bit. But I loved that Arizona line over the over Washington. In fact, I'm kind of mad that with DraftKings, I didn't take the alternate spread because I kind of figured they were gonna win by a little bit more than whatever that spread was. Um, who else gave me a little? The the Rams loved that Rams spread. Didn't think they were gonna blow the Eagles out like that, yeah. but I did love the Rams spread. And then who else was was the one that I took officially? Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah, I did like the Seahawks. Yeah. They. I'll be honest with you, I was a little nervous on that one. You think I had the I had the Patriots? Yeah. That was our head to head, and they like, stopped literally Cam. They took stopped like Cam once. The entire game, yeah. they stopped. Cam it once. took Marissa. What do you think? It took four seconds after Cam got stuffed at the one yard line in the for last Connor play for us to, send to get us the, the GIF. The GIF. Yep. Yeah, Just the sweeping sweep. GIF. Yeah. 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 I didn't even remember like what who had what for. I knew you guys both had picked on that game, and I didn't remember who had what. And then I get Connor's text. But a nice like, bounce back for oh. week for you too, Marissa. You went two and one. Yeah, so my Giants three. pick turned out good, but man, the Chiefs. That was a that was a struggle over there. But uh, yeah, the Giants, Daniel Jones. All right. So. Well, that wasn't where this should have fit into the rundown, but for the good of the DraftKings read, I think we like to to put it there. All right, Connor, where does this team go for now? From now for now and does it end up with trevor lawrence being drafted next spring yeah so i think that here's my thing and this is one that i've thought about i've texted friends about this i brought this up to brie when we were watching the sunday night game i texted my future (laughs) father-in-law about this because i quarterbacks that have ended up being franchise quarterbacks have had poor moments where or poor seasons, terrible seasons, and end up being tremendous players. Troy Aikman, 
one and fifteen before he turned it around. Uh, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning. one and fifteen before yeah. he turned it around. What's odd to me though is that, and and I this is actually assuming the Jet, if the Jets lose, this is a, a very future story. This is literally one that's going to be next week if the Jets lose to the Colts. Is that I I don't I need to go back and look to see if there's any bona fide stud franchise quarterback that was so bad his first three years and in that third year won only two or three games and then in year four took off and became a franchise quarterback because if you look at at legitimate stud franchise quarterbacks i don't know of and and i can't recall off the top of my head i need to go back and do a ton of research on this of a of a player that ended up being a bona fide franchise quarterback that in his third year second or third year or fourth year was one and 15 two and 14 three and 13 because generally when you are a bona fide franchise quarterback even if you have poor head coaching, even if you have a talentless defense, even if you you are surrounded by weapons that aren't really weapons to anything but yourself, you still find the way to will the team to victories, that you still find the way to gut out team victories, that you still find ways to win games in the face of not being able to win games. In the space of everything being stacked against you as a franchise quarterback, you can you can get a win for your team. I don't... If the Jets go the, down this path of... 2 and 14, 3 and 13. And Sam Darnold plays every game. You have every reason to question yourself on is he a franchise quarterback? And if that's the case and you're in a position to organically draft Trevor Lawrence, if you're in a position to get Trevor Lawrence without giving anything up and Sam Darnold's coming off a third year where he just went 2 and 14, 3 and 13, I don't know how you pass up on Lawrence. You have to. You I, have I, to. Exactly. Because, like, what are you going to do then? You're going to go into year three, or you're going to go into Sam Darnold's fourth year with a new coach. You're going to be limited in the coaches you pick because now you're going to have to be hiring a coach that loves Sam Darnold and that is going to be willing to go get Sam Darnold, is going to be willing to, to be the guy that drafts Sam Darnold or wants Sam Darnold to be his quarterback. You're going to limit the coaches you want, and you're also going to now have to pay Sam Darnold despite the fact he's given you three years where you have no idea what kind of a player he is. So if this season does go totally down the tubes and Sam Darnold starts every game for this team and they still only win two games that go 2-14 and 14, and the Jets are in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence organically, I, I don't know how you pass him up. If they're 6-10, and 7-9, and nine, you don't trade up for Trevor Lawrence. If they're picking 5th or 6th, you don't go up to get Trevor Lawrence. But if you're there and he's going to be there for you, I, I just I don't know how you pass up on him. So again, it, it's not a conversation to have now because Sam Darnold did look better against the the um the 49ers. He did he did legitimately look like a better player than when he did in the opener. He looked more calm, looked more settled down, was finding guys, was more accurate, made that really nice throw to Barrios when the play broke down where he escaped out of the pocket and flung one to Barrios for the touchdown. Like that was a really impressive play and made another uh, all world throw where it was like down the sideline. I, I can't remember if Perryman, I think it was to Perryman. I don't know if he caught it, but it was an A plus on a rope across the field, like arm strength galore throw. Like he did things where you were like, okay, like that was a good step in the right direction. He's got to take the next one against the Colts. He's got to take the next one against the Broncos. But if this thing just continues to spiral, I, again, it's not a conversation to have yet, but it's something to be on the radar because I don't know of any bona fide franchise quarterback off the top of my head that was bad for three years, 
got a better coach, got him into the playmakers, and then became a franchise stud. Maybe Drew Brees. Maybe Drew Brees could could be one that I would pick up, but still, it it's it would be a, a fascinating discussion to have. I just don't know if it's necessarily the discussion to have at this particular moment. One thing I'll say, and we'll get to some questions after that, is even if the Jets had played well in weeks one and two, they would probably still be 0-2. So this kind of a weird way to look at it because they've looked so bad that you have to consider that and, and think about the coach and, and the direction of this team. But the fact is that they were probably going to be 0-2 no matter what, even if they had played pretty good football going to Buffalo and then the Niners coming into MetLife. And that's where they are. So if somehow they can turn it around here, the season that Jets fans hope they could possibly put together is still attainable, but it just doesn't seem like that's something they're going to be able to put together. But I know lots of great questions coming down the chat. So Marissa, what do you got? Um, this one's from Max. So under Christopher Johnson, has there been any indication of whether the leadership structure of the Jets has changed in that Joe Douglas will have the power to hire his head? Oh coach? yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah, if, if Adam Gase was fine, I mean Christopher Johnson will be involved in the decision. But here's what I can tell you about: like Christopher Johnson, the structure of the Jets will always be the same. The GM and the head coach report to the owner. The GM doesn't have say over the head coach. The head coach doesn't have say over the GM. They're on even playing fields. Both report to the owner. With that said, Christopher Johnson has given Joe Douglas full control of constructing this team the way that he wants. If it doesn't work with Adam Gase, Christopher Johnson, I can tell you, trusts Joe Douglas enough where Joe Douglas will pick the team's next head coach. I don't think Joe Douglas will be the head coach's boss. I don't think Joe Douglas will have say. It'll be one of those things where it's Joe Douglas builds the team, the coach coaches the team, they both report to the owner, and then that's that's the happy-go-lucky way that they go. But no, I mean, if you think about it, Mike McCagney got fired, but Mike McCagney played a major role in hiring Adam Gase. Like, Mike McCagney was a major factor in that. He he played a significant role in the Jets getting Adam Gase. So he was kind of the GM at the time, and he helped pick the head coach. It will be that way with Joe Douglas 100%. So Joe Douglas, if, if things go wrong, yeah, he'll he'll have a major say in that, a major, major say. That was McCagnin's goodbye, right? One last terrible move to give to uh, Jets fans before <laughs> leaving New York was to give them Adam Gase at this point. Uh, anything else, Morris? Um, This one's from Chris. What does Dowell Loggins actually do? There's the challenge flag. Wow. No, I mean, look, Adam Gase made it clear. He's the offensive coordinator. He's the quarterback's coach. He's the one who who makes the – he's there. He's the guy that runs this offense. And Dow's there to kind of help him. I mean, Dow plays a role. Dow is, is a sounding board. Dow submits his opinions. Dow voices what he thinks. Dow works with the quarterbacks when Adam Gase is, is off doing other things. But um, he is he's he, I know he's their offensive coordinator, but I would kind of look at him more as, as a as a quarterback's coach, a assistant, assistant uh, quarterback's coach kind of thing with that, with with Adam Gase running the show on offense. And he throws the challenge flag. All right. All right. One last one, Marissa. Okay, this one is from one of our Michael Dunn's in the chats. Very important question. How has the how was the first COVID era MetLife Stadium food spread? We actually had one. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm I'm very uh, Michael Dunn, my man. I don't know which Michael Dunn it was, but <laughs> but if it's uh, that, that's a good question. We actually had a legitimate spread. So the way that it worked is it's all outside. You go outside to eat, and they had it all set up. Uh, there was no self serve. Normally it's like buffet style there. They had like pre-portions you could have because it was a one o'clock game. So you could have uh, eggs, um, sausage and or bacon um, and potatoes. And then they had croissants and stuff. And they also had uh, hoagies and sandwiches and things like that. So it was honestly a spread very similar 
to what a normal spread would be during a game. It was just prepackaged and you walked outside to get it and then they handed it to you. Uh, and the Bills actually did something similar, although theirs were just sandwiches. Like you only had sandwiches to pick from. Sandwiches were good. You got a cookie with it. I liked my cookie. Now, I can't. I did have the breakfast spread when I first got to the stadium. I did try that. I can't comment on the sandwiches because I did not eat the sandwiches because Brie made uh i had leftover brie food that i took with me to the stadium one of her staples that she makes is like this uh pasta which she puts a uh, spicy chicken sausage in it because i'm a health nut so i don't want the regular sausage i want chicken sausage uh asparagus or this one had broccoli in it peas uh garlic a bunch of other seasonings and stuff like that it's like one of her staples like just a quick go-to meal uh but it's one of my favorites with parmesan cheese and crushed red pepper so i brought that to the stadium and housed that at halftime so i wasn't worried about any of the sandwiches that were out there i was eating brie's food like I said, then I came home from the game and I had had Bree's buffalo chicken dip, so that was a, a positive too. So when are we going to have the first uh, press box food power rankings from home? Oh, Does the Bree food right? power rankings? I don't know because yeah. I'm going to India yeah. this week, so it's probably going to be. Oh, you are. Yeah, oh, okay. So I'm making the. You yeah, are. Yeah. Oh, surprise. Yeah, uh, I'm going to Indy this week, so I'm. Uh, uh, it'll probably be after that. I know Bree. She. It's tough too because she obviously works. She's well, a nurse, so she's. Uh, she. She works some weekends. Now this weekend was not hers, so I think she should be off. Last week it was not her. She's off this week, and I think she's off the one after that too. So uh, I'll, I'll have some, I'll have some spreads, and I'll, I'll start taking some pictures and ranking those as well. Although I do have like before we even did the press box food power rankings, there is a Brie food power rankings. Like there is one already that I have. It's whenever Brie makes something new, it goes on the Brie food power rankings. And we've been dating for so long. There's like sixty or seventy items on this list right now, all throughout the time. And before everyone's like, oh my God, you're such an ass. How dare you rank your girlfriend's food? And well, now my fiance's food, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the reason, it, like the the power rankings was not originally, the Brie food power rankings were not originally created to like, oh, this food sucks, let's put it on the list. It's like Brie will always say, because she's the cook, I'm not the cook. She'll say like, oh, what do you want to eat today? Like, what do, you, what do you want for dinner? Or what do you want for this? Or what do you feel like having this week? And I'm always like stuck. Like, oh, what do I have? So I literally take out my phone, which I can't find right now, but I take out my phone. I look at it. I'm like, oh, go to the power rankings. I'm like, oh, I remember when you made this. Can we have this tonight? And then she's like, yeah, I'll go out and make this. So it's like, it's a, it's a tool that I use, but it's also like, now I just love it so much that it's been, it's been going on for like the last 10 years that literally there's like 75 items on the list. It's crazy. Has she been cooking for you for 10 years? Uh, yeah. It, uh, it started when she went to college. When she just went to college, I used to oh, go okay. visit her and she would make food. I was like, remember like one of the first things she ever made me was uh turkey meat, turkey meat, like spaghetti and meatballs. And the turkey meatballs had a uh, mozzarella cheese in it. So when you bit into them, like the mozzarella cheese mm. oozed out. Yeah. The nice. crazy thing I was like when she used to cook, it was real home style and not healthy. Now I'm like a health nut and needed to lose. I've, I've lost like 40 pounds. So I've lost like all this college weight that I had. And uh, I remember Bree's kind of had to adapt with me where she now cooks super, super healthy, which is great. I mean, she's an amazing cook. Like, really, her, her food's top notch. I can't complain about it. I'm lucky because I can't cook for Elle. <laughs> All right. Bree food power ranking. Something to look wait, forward wait. to here down the road. What's that? Connor, when, when do you leave? When do you leave for Indy? Saturday. When do we need to text you to remind you to pack your pants? Oh, yeah. Pants. <laughs> pants this week. Good point. And your, yeah, good point. You got and it. And your podcast Saturday. Mic. I'm leaving Saturday. I don't know if the podcast right. mic's kind of like you see I'll it here. Alarm. This podcast mic is pretty okay. stapled, so I don't think that's coming As long as me. you remember your pants Yeah, this pants time. will come and I'll bring my AirPods so I'll remember to. Oh, actually, no. I have a 7 a.m. flight maybe a home. jacket. It's probably cold. It's probably cold yeah, in India. I, I don't want to so. spend any extra time in India. Pants and a jacket. There is this amazing Mexican restaurant I'm looking forward to going. They have this great steak fajitas that I'm going to hit up like on Saturday night. But Monday, my flight's at 7 a.m. So I'm actually going to do the podcast from here when we do the Monday podcast. Just don't go to the cigar bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably won't. Probably won't. Popper might be there, but I, I won't be there. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we will be back later this week to preview that game with the Colts and figure out uh, what what uh, exactly Connor is planning for his trip to Indianapolis. But in the meantime, if you want to uh, save on a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait Podcast. You can join right now for just $1 a month. That's theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait Podcast. Follow Connor on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa is at Marissa underscore Morris. Marissa, how is the... Uh, How's the Twitter account going? Is are the numbers still growing? Yeah, it's going great. Nice. I have a lot. Um, nine hundred and six followers. By the end of the season, you're gonna be caught up to me. I think that's a lot. <laughs> All right. Have so a great day, everyone. everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Can't Wait Podcast.